Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! It is 2023, and we are here to talk to the. What are you? Are you? Are you jingling the change? A uh, noisemaker. Oh yeah, there you go. It's actually filled pop, with pop. dice. Yay! Woo! Nice. Oh, I'm dropping. I'm dropping things. I'm dropping things. Yay! All right. This is the official D&D podcast. We were trying to rattle some dice into the microphone. I'm not sure if it was successful, but... Or annoying. I am Craig Tito, and that is not annoying. That is Shelley Mazzanoble. Hi! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Very excited to start off this calendar year talking about our favorite topic, Dungeons & Dragons. Yay! And all of the fun things therein. We have a wonderful guest with us today, Kendo, who is the game master of an award-winning, they're, they're an actual mm-hmm. award-winning, not just a potty award-winning. Not award a potty award-winning. Um, Tales Yet Told, uh, which is an actual play podcast, as well as Prayers in the Static, and we will get into all of that, as well as their amazing storytelling experiences mm-hmm. and uh, philosophy. Really cool. Yeah, and I wanted, I wanted to thank everyone because uh, we started doing some, some stats tracking here in the Dragon Talk headquarters. <laughs> we have more than a million listens to Dragon Yay! Talk. Yay! That's not counting most of the episodes that we have we produced. This is really only in the last year or so yeah. have we accrued more than a million downloads. Thank you all of you out there for making that happen. That's it's amazing. A million is a very big number. It is a very big number. It is bigger than all the people in my hometown uh, by a lot. Mm-hmm. It's is it? It's more than I Seattle. Even, I don't even it's feel more like people yes, that are in Seattle. Seattle Seattle's only eight hundred thousand. So more people than in Seattle have downloaded Dragon Talk. So yes, we so appreciate that. We love doing that, and we love people who listen to it. And we hope that that you love uh, hearing about these new uh, creators every week, and other people in the industry, and or just people who are D and D fans like yourself. So and we're doing very cool excited. Stuff. Very, very excited. We don't have any stats on uh, Welcome to Dragon Talk, but I have seen so many folks on social media saying they have their copy, they're very excited about it, and uh, you know, giving, you know, making my 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 cheeks red with uh, giving us compliments. I, you know, and like just seeing like people were like, I got my copy, and like the thought of like somebody went and like purchased that book and then wrapped it and then gave it to their loved one. It make made my heart swell. I'm like, oh, like we were a gift to people. And so, yes, love seeing you with your little copies of Welcome to Dragon Talk and really hope that you're enjoying uh, reading it right now. Oh. Yeah, jumping so. in to the community. Take any pictures of you and your book. We will retweet the heck out of them or repost them or remastodon them or whatever that's called on the different social media platforms. We will get it out there. We will do um, it. Because it, may, yeah, you're right. It just it warms it warms the cockles of my heart. Um, something that did not warm my heart actually did the opposite for my Ooh. heart was the fact that um, like my immediate family they did not purchase my book. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact I they were mentioned so, so many times throughout the book, annoyed by that, and like even my dad, who has been a guest on Dragon Talk, right? He was like, 
well, you're supposed to give me a copy. And I was like, no, you're supposed to buy a copy. He goes, I'm sorry, but when you write a book, you give me a copy. I'm like, you buy a copy if your friend or, I, I don't know, daughter publishes a book, then you should buy it. Like, am I wrong with that? Even if it's not in a genre that you would read, yeah, you buy the book. Your friend get, wrote I mean, a book. I'm sorry. You might get a gift of it too. But you buy a book so that there's a book sale happening. It's like buying a ticket to the to the show that you're making or in or something like that. Yeah, you still buy things. Oh, you yeah. just do it because you're like, it's like buying your kids, your friend's kids wrapping paper for a fundraiser. Like, oh, fine, here, give me the wrapping paper. Give me your $40 thing of popcorn, little Eagle Scout. But like, <laughs> like I just feel like your friend slash family member's book should be yeah. like an instant purchase. So thank you to uh, those friends and family that did um, purchase. Small number of you, by the way, but thanks. <laughs> um, but those of you that didn't, I really want you to look deep inside yourself and ask yourself, like, why didn't I support my friend Shelly <laughs> and, and her friend Greg? That is the best uh, uh, guilt trip uh, <laughs> that I've ever heard uh, committed to audio. <laughs> The unfortunate Especially directed part, at people who will probably not I was going to say, it. directed at people who actually do not listen to this podcast <laughs> either. I get it. Like, the podcast is a much more of a commitment to sit and, and listen for an hour on a topic that you're just, you know, you might not be that interested in. I get it. Yeah. But, like, just going and purchasing the book and letting it linger and collect dust on your shelf is totally different. Yeah. Just for when your son and or daughter... Uh, Writes a book. I feel like this is good life advice we're giving to people out there. For your progeny, buy just buy the book for them. I and like not to like totally bring shit down, but like <laughs> my my mom, you know, rest her soul. She is no longer with us in in her physical body. She would have bought a book. She would have bought a, like we would be bestsellers, Greg. I'm sorry, but she <laughs> because <laughs> that was the she missing piece here. She would have done that here. trick where she filled warehouses with. She would have figured it out. She would have been like hand selling these books, and she would have like told everyone she knows. And but for some reason, my dad was like, "I I just assumed you'd give me a copy," which I did. Right. That's it. And I signed it for him, and I said. You really should have bought this. Love <laughs> Shelly. <laughs> well, now this has gone into a Seinfeld episode, I think, at this point, when you're like, well, I'm reluctantly giving you this I and did. signing it to you. Yeah, got one. Gave one to my brother, and he was like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, did yeah. you forget that that was a thing? With Nobody. great anger and resentment. Yeah, I didn't even sign his. And I, I mean, I only can assume that because he like never asked me afterwards. He just unwrapped it on Christmas. He was like, oh, cool. Okay. Uh, I assume he <laughs> brought it home. I don't even know. It could still no. like be in my dad's guest room He's right now. He's got two two copies now. <laughs> and then my dad, like he had a confessions of a part-time sorceress because my mom had it propped up on mm. her little sideboard with like all of pictures, like a little shrine to my to my book. Yeah. So he, after he took down the Christmas decorations and put that little shrine back up, he like found Welcome to Dragon Talk and he was like, oh, uh, I guess I, I'm going to put this here on the sideboard. On the shrine. Yeah, and like kind of, and Bart was like, I actually did see him like, appear thoughtful and, and like, where should I put this <laughs> book? Like, too late. Too little, too late, man. No. Uh, Whatever. Family, right? 
God, what do you Can't have to do? Can't live with them past the beer nuts. <laughs> Period. <laughs> End of story. Oh, it's true. Well, didn't, I mean, uh, I didn't even bother trying to get my parents to do it because I think I, I bad them even, throughout the entire <laughs> book. So I was like, I don't know. I really want you to read this. Uh, <laughs> do they know even that you wrote I a book? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, they know I wrote a book, I think, because they, they sometimes look on my, my social media. I bet, they, I bet they have it. I bet they're reading right. it right now. They're reading I, it right now and, and angry. They're shaking their fist. No. Like, we should have not let him play D&D They more. probably were like, God, we really, we should have, we missed out and we should have let him. And your mom is probably turning to your dad right now and saying, we need to go find our local game store and learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons right now. I am, I am certain that's what's happening right now as we speak. They're like, they're like, we, we made a mistake. We should have... <laughs> We should have been better people. Like the, the I told you so moment is yet to occur. It's going to happen, I promise. It may be. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. It could be well. the future. I feel like that's a nice uh, storytelling moment that might occur uh, in this saga of Dragon Talk. Yes. We'll see. Well, um, it seem It sounds like something that our guest, uh, Kendo, would, would put together and weave into the storytelling that he does and they do on their show. So... Let's, uh, without further discussions of a family <laughs> drama, let's talk about actual drama. <laughs> yes. In the audio awesome. form. Good segue. Mm. Let's welcome Kendo to Dragon Dog. Yay! Yeah! Wow! Yes! Here. Yes, <laughs> yes, you, yes are. you are. Whoa! <laughs> Greg. I know, that was like right on time. Gosh. Um, but Kendo, you are our first guest of 2023. Welcome. Yeah. Starting, starting off right, starting off strong, starting off nice. <laughs> Confetti, little horns. Oh, I should have brought little a popper, some noisemakers. Yes. Yeah. Those are always fun to add to any D&D game. And every interview should have noisemakers. <laughs> I agree. Yes. I, th- I think that people listening at home would agree. <laughs> It's yes. wonderful radio. We need more noisemakers. Well, you would know a thing or two about that, being the host of an actual play podcast. That's true. I'm always thinking about, uh, is this listenable? <laughs> is this a thing <laughs> is, that people want to listen is to? Is this going to annoy people wearing headphones right now? Yeah. Is it going to annoy <laughs> them? Is it going to gross them out? Is it, I had to do this yesterday. I was listening to a cut of an episode actually that came out today. Uh, where I had to decide whether or not we were going to have worm noises for a thing. Worm, uh, worm noises. Worm Yeah, noises? there's like a, a worm crawling. I don't want to spoil that. There's a worm that crawls. There's, But, you know, you got to listen to it to see, is this too much? Is it not enough? Maybe we should ax it. Should it just be a content warning? What's the deal? You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what does so a worm what, sound like? Is it like a slithering snake type of thing? Do you want me to make the? I could make the sound. Yes, did you yes. did you make it? Yes. When you were no, recording? I didn't make it, but I feel like I could. It's like a wet <laughs> like as it like because okay. it's like yeah no it's see exactly like it's like ASMR videos that my daughters like to listen to for some Anti- reason. And I'm like ASMR. oh my god, why are you watching people slurping noodles? It's like oh my god. nightmares. This is like my son like will like launch out of nowhere, put something in my ear like sharp little plastic and he's like why is that satisfying 
Is that satisfying? Is that like no? No, it's not satisfying. Are you? Is this what you want? (laughs) Is this what you want? (laughs) Are you not entertained? (laughs) (laughs) Get it out of my ear. My daughters do the the squeezy things, the like you know squishmallows, and some of them have that. Oh. noise to it and they mm. always keep my ears too and I'm always like no I hate that right in the ear and yeah. when you least that's... expect it and then want to know so that's a big thing it. trying to figure out which noises to <laughs> to use as sound effects and which not and yeah, yeah. and which ones feel... get a trigger warning that's <laughs> exactly might, no you might because... want a trigger warning that worm <laughs> yeah no exactly no that's what I did it's I started um for because especially for so tales you told uh, the podcast that I host, um, it's we do a lot of horror, uh, whether mm. intentional or not. Sometimes it accidentally you listen to a thing was like hmm, that was pretty uh, horrific, uh, and then <laughs> we only make it worse by adding sound effects um, and like the safety of both my players and then also the people listening and like so that people a know what they're getting into and b can make a informed decision on whether or not like i want to listen to this or i don't want to listen to this specific part of it um and so uh that was like has always been uh, top of my priority list even from when we started is, is being able to hopefully like listen to a thing and be able to identify okay this is going to be a, something that i want to be able to warn people about before they get into it uh be it a thematic thing, be it a sound thing, be it mm-hmm. a description thing. Because some people just don't, some people don't even like when you describe like what an animal looks like because for, you know, various traumas and other reasons, people don't need to give, have a justification for why they don't like something. Um, but yeah. uh, it's like, I feel as a producer of a audio fiction or really like anything that people are intaking being able to give people the tools to make an informed decision of is this actually something that i'm going to watch enjoy and not have something that is going to trigger me or like be deeply deeply uncomfortable without me wanting it to be um is like that is a huge responsibility and something that you have to take very seriously and something that i try to take very seriously yeah, because it's something you can do both as as the host and the performer, but then also on the back end as you're as you're producing and doing post production mm-hmm. on something, right? And so that's that yeah. is very important. It's a new I like how, it's a newer trend in in TTRPGs too, right? Where that's not just uh, hey, I get to freak out all of my my players. You get to uh, uh, figure out ways to give content warnings that don't spoil or give away uh, the fun of improv, right? Yeah, yeah, that can be 100%. difficult. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that um, this isn't a thing that I personally done, but I've know people who do uh, who do actual play content. Typically, this uh, specific examples for a live stream, where even the game master will give the players like a beat list of like here are themes and like story elements that are going to come up in this episode that are like removed from context and even still like the players go through it like and still are able to improv and hit all of those beats but still have agency and like being able to do what they want to do and also know ahead of time that oh we're going to hit this thing i need to be mentally and emotionally prepared for it for when we do eventually get there 
Yeah. It's, br- it's blending it so. into theater and, and other me- uh, movies and other you know, TV and other entertainment like that because you would have the script and talk through all those moments and, and then have each individual scene come out the way you, you want it to come out. But there, you do need to have that element of uh, agency that you just mentioned is super important still. Yeah. yeah. It's a fine line. The, la- the last thing you want is someone getting blindsided by something truly truly terrible that you didn't even realize was something that was going to upset them and you thought oh this is going to be a fun surprise for them this is going to be a cool narrative beat everybody's going to love this and then a player's like hey actually that's deeply uncomfortable for me i do i no longer feel comfortable being playing or and doing this and like that's like not like that isn't technically the worst case scenario but it is a bad scenario and yeah. anything that you can do to give people the power to have agency in those uh, uh, in those cases is so good. And I'm glad to see that people are, especially for like actual plays and uh, uh, like be a broadcast, podcast, uh, audio fiction that's made from their game <laughs> into a podcast, getting into this territory of just making sure that we are taking care of the people that we are telling these stories with. Uh, because they can be so deeply impactful, powerful, and, you know, so satisfying to play. But we got to make sure that everybody's actually having a good time while doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, it's like, I I saw, like, a criticism once of, like, well, this, you know, letting people opt out of material or giving them warnings in advance is like censoring or like the dungeon master and no. or it's not you know letting them be free and it's like it's complete it's actually the opposite like letting someone know like you have an out like we are everybody is is in this together and it's absolutely nothing needs to happen no territory needs to be covered that's uncomfortable for anyone just knowing that does sort of feel embold like I would I do feel like uh, you obviously feel more comfortable playing mm-hmm. uh, which does free you and does allow a little bit more of that creative freedom but it does also make me feel a little bit braver as well like I will tiptoe towards this thing because I know I, I don't have to go any further I know that it's okay to opt out of it so I, it's completely the opposite of, of that. And I just think it makes the the stories that we tell that much better because people feel they're at home in them, that they're comfortable in them. I 100% so, agree. I think it's really interesting with Tales Yet Told that you are a host and a game master. And um, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's really interesting listening because you are like keeping in like script notes or like the camera pans over to this person. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I really feel like I'm in or like listening to a table read or something like more. It's like it's very visual and you have such a poetic way that of like the way you narrate. It's like, like going to like listening to like, live poetry like you know <laughs> and hearing the the poet on stage and like they, they just have like such a rhythm to the way that they're talking and it's like i was thinking so here, i dude. married an axe murderer when harriet 
yeah. I, I'm, I, oh, I deeply appreciate that. And uh, a lot of that is um, my start and start. I'm, I, that's you, that is the like thirty thousand dollars that I spent on film school. I was wondering. Uh, I'm like, that has to be his film background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's paying. It's paying off in the actual play podcast that doesn't give me any money. Uh, <laughs> it's it's, so it's uh, not paying off. It's just it's off. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, people are enjoying it, so it's emotionally paying. Yep. Off. It, yes, absolutely. That counts. Yeah. No, but it's um. I don't even remember when I started GMing in that way. I think like I it probably actually was college when I was doing more like screenplay writing where I found it very I found it very easy to guide the narrative in that way if you take it from as a GM that thinking of what is happening both on screen and then what is happening off screen and then mm. guiding f- like guiding from one scene to another using camera directions because it also helps the players be able to envision it especially since when if you're using a game that doesn't have like a a, a tabletop portion to it like if you don't have like a map or a grid or like be it in person or online it's easier for someone to visualize like a movie or a television show because we're so used to taking in that media, right? Even if you don't know the specific terms for like the difference between like a pan or a tilt or like a smash cut or fade or whatever it is, you know, you can visually be like, oh, I know what this looks like. And you can help guide a scene in that way uh, especially since I, in my game mastering, I like to check in on players a lot, especially mm. like what their characters are thinking. And so yeah. there are portions where like, we'll start a scene that is like a like a specific moment in time. Someone like a group of them climbing the stairs, a group of them like in a room together or a group of them about to do a thing and then guiding that camera from being like, okay, the camera focuses in on this person. What are they doing when the camera is looking at them and how are they feeling about what is about to happen? And then guiding from camera from one person to the next so that each person gets like a moment that focuses in on them, really highlights what they're doing in that moment before you move into, okay, these are the things that are about to happen. And it's just been a very useful tool to help both me and my players, I think. That's so cool because it feels it feels similar to what I like to do as, as a DM, which is like, okay, you're casting a spell. Tell mm-hmm. me what that spell looks like. Tell me what, you know, this is your moment to shine and be creative. But it's mm-hmm. giving it in those quieter moments. That's so cool. Like giving yeah. it like these emotional notes that people can... Uh, you know, exercise or not, right? Maybe they could just be like, oh, I'm just cleaning yeah. my fingernails. But even that has something that's really... That's very cinematic, right? Like, oh, they're nervous about the fight that's to come, or or exactly. what they're going to encounter in the next, uh, 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 you know, room or whatever. That's really yeah. cool, and it gives, uh, you know, emotional information that is sometimes not front and center uh, when we're playing these games. Exactly, because that's like especially for players who I think because. Uh, we all know there's a wide gamut of players, players who are more performative, players who do kind of like take a step back, players who are like ready to like jump in or whatever. And I think it gives every player in those moments time to be able to not just like 
highlight themselves and show off what their characters are doing, I think it also gives them a moment to check in and think, okay, what actually is my character thinking? Because that yeah. helps them prepare themselves on how they're going to move forward. Um, I like, and I especially, I especially love doing it right after like big things have happened, and then like they're in like the recovery phase because that's yeah. where I'm the most interested in what they're thinking because it helps give me information on how am I going to move forward, what am I going to put in front of them next, what is the next emotional beat that not just the player is interested in, but that the character needs to happen to be able to get to that next step. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that it stood out to me too because I heard you ask, "What are you thinking?" several times. I'm like, God, I don't remember being asked that. Like a lot of times, <laughs> I'm asked, "What are you doing? Right. What does this look like?" You know, but like the thinking part, and especially after, like you said, a big moment, I started to think, "What what does my character think about after combat ends? Do they?" Are they like pumped up and just like, mm -hmm. give me more? Or do they feel pretty awful because they took a life, even though it was a life that, you know, was trying to kill the entire party? Or do they just need a moment to reflect? Or do they need a nap? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but wow, it, it's like, it's such an interesting part of character development to actually stop in those moments and be like, what am I thinking right now? What, what am I thinking? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So cool. I'm going to incorporate that, I think. I yeah, I I highly recommend it. I think <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of tools like that where cuz I am a incredibly heavy role player when it comes to tabletop RPGs. I do combat. I don't do it very often. I do a little bit of it, but when I do, it's primarily like very big moments for mm -hmm. like things have broken down and like physical action and con and, and 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 violence the inaction of violence is necessary in this moment and the players have agreed on it and they're doing the thing um when it happens it is big and it is usually catastrophic for the players the people that they're fighting and the things are around it um to like almost like to like it's you could almost set a set your watch to it um for almost every arc that happens in every season um it's build up mystery figuring out what's going on things break bad physical conflict happens it goes catastrophic and the place that they leave is forever changed or destroyed <laughs> That is pretty that is pretty universal for every arc. That's a good formula. I mean, it reminds yep. me of uh the way the seasons of Game of Thrones went, right? Where it was like, <laughs> yeah, the the really big conflict violent scenes were always like one or two episodes before the finale. Right. And every time it happens, there's like that like those are the moments that you really 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 want to be checking in. Not just because you've just gone through a big emotional thing for the characters, but also whatever the players were thinking about before that and however they were imagining things going before that has changed. It like it has because the world has changed. Their characters have changed. And now you that is when I check in to be like, hey. How are you feeling? How A, how is your character feeling? What are they thinking about in this moment? And then B, 
and usually I do this B part off camera where, mm. <laughs> where, you know, in, in, in DMs or in our group chat being like, okay, where are you imagining your character wants to go next? Or where do you imagine your character needs to go next? Whether or not they want that or not. And it gives me, the game master, the tools to set up what happens next. Almost, and and a lot of this happens for me because I'm highly improvisational as a GM. I, I'm bad at notes. Uh, I'm ah. bad at planning. Uh, my brain doesn't let me do it, do it very often. Um, when I do, it's like fine, but I, I'm usually running off of pure improv. And so the worlds that I make and the stories that we end up playing are in like intrinsically connected to the characters and their character's journey and what those characters want. There are NPCs, locations, events, and scenes that do not happen if I am not playing with these specific characters. The game, the games are different. Stranger mm-hmm. Than the Woods is not Strangers in the or Strangers in the Woods looks completely different if it is not Dorothy Dakota and, and Walter. Mm. If it's not those three characters and it's three different characters, it is not the same. The challenges I put in front of them are specifically because of who those characters are and what the players are interested in for those characters' journeys. And because of that, I have to constantly be checking in because that is the the nature of it. If I don't know what they want to do next, I don't know what to put in front of them. We'll just right. be doing whatever bullshit I make up is going to be what they play. But I want to make sure that whatever I am putting in front of them is actually something that they're interested in playing and interested in exploring. Because if not, why, why are we doing it? You know? I, I want to, because that circles back to uh, another point you had made about the places that they leave in each of the arcs is either destroyed or irrevocably changed. I think that's something that a lot of dungeon masters, myself included, kind of struggle with because you're like, well, I set up this world. I'm not going to let the players change the political landscape or, you know, like, you know, you have a whole world that's built. And sometimes, you know, if you're playing in an established universe like like Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. or whatever, it's not like Neverwinter is going to be destroyed or, 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 well, I guess it was destroyed once, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't through players' actions. It was through, through the established setting changing, right? And yeah. so it, there's this, this idea that, that players can sometimes not affect the world. And I think I, the way you get drama, the way you get climax is through change, right? You have mm-hmm. to have that either, you know, the threat of change or, or uh, something like that needs to have, have the dramaticness go on, or else we, again, why are we doing it? Like you can be like, all right, well, you you got to level three, but or level thirteen or whatever, but like nothing really changed in the world. And I feel like we should make more uh, signposts along the way of like, okay, no, this is this is a different setting based on the actions of of what happens at the table. And I think that's that's brilliant. Yeah. I- I one of my favorite campaigns that I've ever run, D and D five E, Curse of Strahd. Um love I got I love I love Curse of Strahd so much. Um <laughs> and we we did not make it too much further than Velaki. And the reason being is because my players <laughs> and partially me. <laughs> because I I I I, I hope do this. Um, almost destroyed Velaki, <laughs> the city of Velaki. <laughs> uh, the players ended up okay. I had a player. 
<laughs> oh goodness. The quick the quick synopsis version of uh the um Vistani and Strahd and mm, I can't I this was years ago. I don't remember her name. The NPC that is in uh Valaki that is like working with Strahd and wants to over uh, and wants to overthrow the Burgomaster. Um I forget her name they, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it's like Lady whatever. Uh <laughs> um they orchestrated an assault on Velaki on the day of the Burning Sun, whatever the festival is that is in there, um, and convinced the players to work alongside them where uh, the Vasani were going to blow up the east western gate and then like have a huge assault, like bring in a bunch of people. Um, and another player... After the death of Ezek Strozny, uh, and like two of the players got caught from that, uh, from that assault, were taken into prison. Another two of the players went back to uh, Lady, whatever her name is, to be like, okay, we need to do the assault now. And then one of the players, before they killed Ezek, somehow found his way to be on the party planning committee uh, for uh, the Day of the Burning Sun, and then ended up being promoted to being the captain of the guard after Ezek Strozny was killed uh, by uh, the son of the Burgomaster, I think the Burgo, the Burgo master didn't get killed, but he was still like sick or whatever uh, from something, and it ended up with him telling him telling the player, "Hey, if you're I, if I'm going to trust you, I need you to execute the two other players." And it's like him, it's him having to try to navigate how to over like go around this execution on the day of the burning sun, as <laughs> two of the people have as two of the other characters have been put inside the giant wooden sun that they're going to set on fire. Oh, and oh then the other players, the other players riding in with the Vistani, ready to blow up the wall with a bunch of alchemist fire. And by the end of it, like two characters died. Uh, the Vistani are pushed back. A bunch of the, uh, the civilians of, uh, uh, of um, Volaki are killed. But they like the players switch sides by the end of it because they're like, oh wait, Strahd's <laughs> this is Strahd's doing. We shouldn't let that happen. Uh, and like <laughs> kind of work their way, like kind of navigated this really tense uh situation uh of like pretending that they were on one side and then switching to the other side. And then the person who was like a part of uh, who uh the character who was made to be the captain of the guard ended up getting really attached to the other guards <laughs> because I gave Aww. them voices and personalities. Aww. And like I I said like two lines and they were like, oh I can't abandon them. I love them. <laughs> I love them. And like starts like giving them. them orders during the combat and then everybody ends up switching sides. And it was like it was this huge thing, but by the end of it, Falaki is not the same. It can't yeah. be the same. And we didn't play too much further after that because scheduling, you know, the big bad of all uh, tabletop games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, if I had not let them affect what was happening in that world, if I hadn't let them 
accidentally make their way into the uh, uh onto the party planning committee if i don't let them blow up the uh the western gate of Velaki, if i don't let them be able to order guards if i don't let them make the decision are they going to execute their friends or not in order to not have this very powerful wizard turn against him that's not the same game if yeah. i had just followed the book and did the thing it would have been fun but it would not be the same. It would I wouldn't remember it as much as I do now. Um, and like well, that's so yeah. cool because that is what people will take away from this game. We've talked to you know uh, hundreds of people uh, who who can tell vivid stories about an event that happened, whether it was a couple of years ago or a couple of decades ago. They can mm-hmm. tell this really vivid story that they remember as if it was a real memory of something that actually happened to them because it kind of did in this weird mm-hmm. simulation world that we live in that is playing Dungeons & Dragons. And that is something you don't get to experience very often, right? Like, you don't get to have these, you know, shared fake memories with your friends <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. that you can tell on a podcast later, you know, unless you're playing D&D. Yeah, 100%. It's so it's, interesting. It's so wild. <laughs> yeah, it is really weird. And I love that you're using your... Um, you know, your skills and experience doing filmmaking and screenplay writing. I even like how in early on you mentioned that, you know, um, audio storytelling is more of the term that you use while while making these podcasts um, because it does feel, even though there is an improv nature and there's a game nature to it, you're telling a story and you're telling a story for an audience and that that audience can be just the people around the table and that's cool enough. But it can also be a larger to be able to to experience that, and I just I I think more people are approaching um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons play in that way. Um, so I want to hear more about. I mean, I, obviously, I love that story about uh, 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 Valaki, uh, but I want to know about prayers in the static uh, and and, oh. and what is happening there, and 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 why people might want to listen to this this kind of audio storytelling that you're doing. Well, so Prayers in the Static is our like live streamed show that is connected to Tales Yet Told. It is hosted by me and my my co-host Ibrahim. Um and Prayers in the Static is a collaborative world building project in a way where we every like episode or every arc is a different tabletop RPG that is uh, slowly building on the same setting. So we started off playing Microscope, where we build out a timeline for what the science fiction setting was going to be from both when people were on Earth and it's like a cyberpunk kind of uh, dystopia, moving on to people starting to build uh, satellite colonies around Earth and then starting to build out further into uh, the solar system and to eventually to a point where there's like a, a solar system war for independence that ends up really, really bad for Earth uh, because uh, a, a space monarchy drops I think the number is 72 kinetic weapons on the earth uh, all at once. Uh, those, devastating. Those, those big, like, you know. Like, just like big cylinders like, pillars of, of metal. Yeah. Exactly. And, Oof. like, you drop them on the earth and each of them is, like, what? Like, it's, like, several atomic bombs uh, each. It's devastating for the planet earth. And then, like, the rebuilding of earth and then, like, the growing of all of these 
uh, satellite colonies and like people trying to figure out how do we get into terraforming? How do we move past it? And the conflicts from uh, uh, all of these <laughs> mega corporations and like, uh, and, and people who are just trying to live and survive. And it is this work of visionary fiction that we are trying to put together of how do we as humans and create communities together and how do we learn to work together and become empathetic and try to fight for something that is better than what we have now and it is i it is the 2022 was our first we finished our first season uh at the end of uh, just this past december we're currently taking a break in january uh, so that we can uh, be able to do some production stuff, try to figure out, okay, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, and we are currently very excited for what's about to happen um, because there's so many games that we want to play. We have a list of like, I think 50 to 60 games currently and like all of these different ideas of like, oh, what if we told a story about this? What if we told a story about this abandoned mall that's on earth that have a bunch of like, uh, and like AI still roaming around, but like they only can enter, they've only been interacting with each other because there's no humans left. What happens when like AI, like not even like, not even from like a sentient perspective, from like a now perspective of like these are machines, machine based learning algorithms that take in information, use that to do its job better. And if a bunch of AI or their whole job is, hey, I'm supposed to stand outside of a store and learn how to sell things to people better. What happens when the only people they can interact with are other AI who that's their exact same job? <laughs> and then what happens when like a bunch of like kind of shitty teenagers like break in and like just like be shitty teenagers around them and then leave. How does that affect them? And like, I'm like stories like that stories about space junkers who are plighted by capitalism and like have to go out and do these super dangerous jobs to like be able to make a living. Like all of these different stories about how people have to engage with society and each other and how tech and how technology fits into that is very much all like that is what prayers in the static is. And uh, I'm really excited to see as we are, we're currently in the process of like collating all of the world building stuff that has happened over the course of these games. Cause each game is just building onto the canon of what exists in this world. Every player is bringing in new factions, new ideas, new technologies uh, in every single game. And so we're trying to put it all together so that like by the end of it, we can have a setting that we can say, hey, if you want to play a game in this, there's so much there's so much to work with here. We want you to be able to play in this world and build your own future with it. The live stream then was using, when you say games, it's not sessions, you're meaning different little RPGs? Uh, yeah, so... That were used uh, to kind of build the world? Uh, yeah, so our first game was Microscope, uh, which we used to build the timeline. Our second game was mothership which explored uh a uh, a group of mercenaries who are hired by this mega corporation called scorpio um hmm. to from be, general uh, hospital <laughs> <laughs> god i wish uh, <laughs> robert um, scorpio he was so cool when i was six i can't believe you know that I'm so 
impressed. Watched a lot of, uh, of GH when I was. See a kid. the the eye patch guy. He, no, Did his friend was the eye patch guy. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, people. If you don't, if you want to know the lore behind General Hospital, General there Hospital. is some weird action A team stuff that happens in this soap opera for some reason. It's. It's a pretty well. I've seen like I I wouldn't say I've seen like probably like a handful of episodes, and each one was almost unbelievable that it <laughs> that it was happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I'm not kidding. I had a call earlier today that was Zach Clay, who was our guest on Dragon Talk a couple weeks ago, talking about DMing again, and we talked about soap operas and how great they are for inspiration as dungeon masters. Because literally anything can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah. There's been clones. There's been aliens. Evil twins. There's been the meta thing of, uh, of, what's his name? Uh, The guy who was in Pineapple Express. He came on and was him. He was on General (laughs) Hospital in the late 90s. No, the other guy. uh, Oh. uh, uh, James Franco. Oh, James James Franco. James Franco was an artist named Franco on General Hospital in the late 90s. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean no. to derail you there with no, your Scorpio, no, so but I was like, Scorpio. Like, no, 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 you're so good. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I love that you did. So this live stream was a bunch of different games that you played in order to kind of build different parts of this world. And now you can just continue that in some ways yes. forever, right? Yeah. And like that is like, and I think like one of the really cool things about it is like, while it is like sci fi in general, there's so many different genres that fit in there right yeah. we've done we've done like like action like action like okay you need to go and do this thing you you know you have your your mission we've done mysteries uh we've done uh a semi cozy one uh where we played uh this rpg called echo which is about kids who find like essentially like a black box of a mech and it contains the uh, the dwindling, the dwindling consciousness of uh, the uh, a former mech pilot, and they have to like Ooh. go out and find the mech, and like mm. it's a map drawing game. So like each each kid gets to like describe what the mech, like what one mech looks like that they find, um, and like how like the communities around it and like the world around it has changed it and uh and how like engage with it if they've like turned it into a monument or if it's like a gathering place or anything like that um and like it was like that was just like a nice little cozy really sad game um but that can live next to hey we have to stop the spaceship from crashing into this colony that's gonna kill like a, a couple hundred thousand people um those things are like not mutually exclusive when you have a world that big. And I think that's the like one of the things that I'm really excited about as we're moving into 2023 and we're starting, we're starting to break down our production into quarters. And so that each quarter will have like a theme that we can focus on and be like, okay, the games and stuff that we're going to do. And this one follows this general theme of, I think our first one is called, uh, like the core concept is called forgotten places and what we leave in them. And so we have games that are like specifically about like an abandoned place. And like, it could just be a game about that place. It could be a game about people going to an abandoned place. It could be about the things that are still there in that abandoned place. It could be how that place was abandoned. And like, like I'm super excited to be able to, 
help us be able to focus in on, okay, these are the things that we want to be building in this particular uh, uh, period of time. So it's easier for us to choose games because, again, we have like a list of like 60 games that we're going to play. <laughs> How do you decide what game to play next? Um, and well, so... Here, yeah. Let me ask you this because I know a lot of people online uh, will discuss about... Uh, playing different role-playing games other than Dungeons and Dragons, and how that mm-hmm. can enrich, you know, both their lives and 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 their their game libraries. If you've got sixty games on the shelf ready to play, but also <laughs> right. how it can it can make their D and D play more, you know, exciting or story driven or or or, or role play driven. How do you speak to that? Because it seems like you've got a lot of experience in these these kind of smaller uh, types of games. Yeah, well, I I am a firm believer of trying new games. There are so many, there are constantly more games that are being made. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of games for you to be able to try. And I've learned so much from just playing games. Things like even little bits and pieces that I take into other games. Uh, Like Kids on Bikes, for example. When I first played Kids on Bikes, I was blown away by the concept of... In the session zero of Kids on Bikes, you sit down, you create characters, and you create the town that you're playing in. And you answer a series of... Each person answers a question or a series of questions about things about that town. What What is the town known for? Where, like, uh, what are places that people hang out in the town? Um, what are the secrets of the town? And every person gets to like dip a little bit into the world building of that. And I take that everywhere I go now. Like that's <laughs> like that's just the thing that I do now in like most games that I play because I find that collaborative world building part of it so so interesting. Because um, that's similar and, to people writing backstories or whatever, right? Where like you're adding exactly. little bits of story that aren't resolved yet and may be resolved in the game. Exactly. And it also gives them like a feeling of ownership over the world as well. People are going to be way more interested in engaging in the world that they're playing in if they feel like they have a say over it. Or like if they feel like they are partially responsible for why it exists in that way. They're going to understand it better. They're going to want to live in it more. They're going to want to pull on more little things. They're going to want to sit down and talk with NPCs and do all of these things because they feel partially responsible for it and they care about it in the same way a game master would care about any world that they sit down and like sit alone in the dark and like write on a sheet of paper ah here's all my lore and stuff like that same kind of ownership that you would have doing that all of the players get to share in that and like that's just like one thing that i've taken from one game yeah i'm i'm also a big supporter of switching the game that you're playing during a campaign, even if it's just temporary. Um, I do this a lot in Tales Yet Told, actually, where, I mean, objectively, games are good at the thing that they are made for doing, right? Um, And not every game is good at doing everything. I mean, unless you're like GURPS or whatever, but... um, no. Well, yeah, good, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say easy. I said... <laughs> um, but like, as an example, in Strangers in the Woods, there's a point in it where I really wanted to find a way to be able to explore one of the characters' backstories. Walter. Walter is a weasel. 
uh, Walter was not always a weasel. And canonically in the world, there are people who turn into animals. And it is a terrifying, emotionally destructive process. And I wanted to be able to explore and be like, hey, we don't know, like, what did, like, what is this process like for Walter? And so... Uh, we did a special that is a one-shot where it's just me and Gus playing, who plays Walter. And oh, wow. we play Abnormal by Avery uh, Alder, which is a two-player game, a, a body horror game about mm. a person and the horror that is slowly changing a person. And, like, it is a game that is specifically about that. It is an intimate horror game about someone slowly losing sense of themselves as something is changing them and like the relationship between them the people around them and the horror itself that is changing them that is not something i could just do in any game this is a game specifically made about it and it's specifically following the themes that we were wanting to explore and so for this like one shot yeah we're playing babes in the woods for the rest of strangers in the woods or for a decent portion of it but for this one thing, where we want to explore this one thing, we're going to play abnormal. When we go and talk about the Cody's backstory and uh, their relationship with their father, we play One Missed Call, a game specifically about two people growing apart that can only interact through phone calls. And like being able to do just these small things in one session, whether it be between you and one other player or you and everyone else, and you're just switching the game up a little bit, that can add so much depth to the game, to the story that you're telling, because you're playing a game that's specifically tailored to telling that story. And I, I just think it's such a powerful tool that I think more people can use, even if like the last Dungeons and Dragons campaign that I played during like a break between arcs, we played a game of the quiet year. Um, map drawing game talking about uh people, you know, coming out, also by Avery Alder. A uh, game about people coming into a uh, trying to settle a community um, after like a devastating thing has happened, and they are trying to like rebuild, uh, and they have one year to do it before the frost shepherds come. Which is it like, wasn't uh, Valakai, was it? <laughs> good thing <laughs> after you destroyed it in Strahd, <laughs> yeah, hey, we got to uh, rebuild here. <laughs> um, and they, uh, what happened was like that game was a world-building game that we did in the middle of our campaign for the town that the game was taking place in and ended up being the contents of a history book that one of the players had gotten from an NPC. And, like, we did our game as the player reading that book. And it completely changed the course of the campaign because we learned more about the world in a way that we only could have through playing this game. And so there's so much value and richness that comes from diversifying what games you're playing to tailor to the story that you're trying to tell, even if they're all in the same story. It's not oh, that cool. Yeah, isn't that cool? Because it, it, the way you're describing it, it was the first time that kind of clicked yeah. was uh, the the, the uh, Dragonlance, uh, how Shadow of the Dragon Queen has these moments where you can show the battlefield mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. Warriors of Kryn and how those two formats inform each other but they're different uh, goals and different actions and different things that you can do in them and that are are more tailored to whatever is happening in those scenes that you're that you're showing 
right? And yeah. So that's such a really cool idea. I've always had that idea about like war being on like a board game kind of strategy level thing because those are games I like. But you know, the way you're describing having these these character focus moments or um, storytelling moments where you want to you know have time pass in the past, you know, DMs would just be like, okay, time passes, uh, nothing else, you know, and this is how it's changed, and this is where you should, but then giving players agency through that, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and even the war thing that you were talking about, like, that's another, like, incredibly valid way to use it. I think uh, one of my, uh, I listen to a lot of friends at the table, um, and one of my favorite uses of, like, how they do that is during their counterweight campaign, where they go between, like, the ground game of, I think they play Tech Noir, mm-hmm. um, and then there's also a side game that's happening with different players as they're playing Stars Without Number, I think, where there is a political side game that is supposed to be just for the GM to do, where they're saying, okay, how are all of these different factions moving? And like, what are they gaining resources? And like, all of the politics of that. But sitting down and playing with another group of people doing that game, and then that informing the ground game as like political alliances and different things move around, like, that stuff's so freaking cool to me. And I think I would love to see more people do it because it's it allows you to be able to focus in on parts of the story that you just can't. Like, you just... I, not every game is made to do everything. And so... I'm sorry. No, that's awesome. Because I, I... I mean, I think... Back to where you... We're, we're starting this. I think the inspiration for these is uh great for 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 dms uh who you know maybe if you do just focus on on dungeons and dragons for your play and your campaigns being able to experience these other games will allow you to add concepts and maybe not you know you don't have to add the game whole cloth necessarily but you can certainly be like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna run my session of of dnd like this or using concepts like the kids on bikes kind of world building uh group world building kind of thing you know because i mean we like to think that Dungeons and Dragons is a monolith, but there each table is its own shard of how it's run by that dungeon master, and you're just adding more more spices and more ingredients to the pot when you when you uh, you know it's like writers should read books, filmmakers should 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 uh, watch a lot of films, game masters should play a lot of games. Yeah, I agree. That's that's a cool idea. I was going to ask because I always. A lot of times you see like story-driven game master, or you specifically say character-driven game master. Um, and I was going to ask, what does that mean to you? But I think we know. I think, we <laughs> I think after listening to this, I think we all know what that means. <laughs> the characters are important. The characters, they are. they're the they are the people that you are following. The I I firmly, at least in my style. I firmly believe that if I am telling a story, I want it to be about the people who are the people playing it. I want it to be, they can be like in a larger scenario, right? It could be, oh, the the world is always moving around them. People have, NPCs, factions outside of the players have their own goals, have their own desires, and will act on those outside of what the players are doing. But the focus of the story that I'm telling should always be on the characters, how they are affecting the world and the people around them, and how they feel about all of that. Well said. Man. All right, well. I've learned a lot. 
Now I want to uh, listen to more Tales Yet Told and, the, of course, Prayers in the Static, which has got sci-fi elements, is, is super fun. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, where can people find all of this stuff, Kenda? Where can people start listening? Yeah, so you can find Tales Yet Told wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, new episodes come out every other Wednesday. Uh, you can follow us on social media for updates at Tales Yet Told on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. Uh, you can also find us on our website, talesyettold.com, uh, where you can find information about all of the different seasons, the cast and crew who were, make it possible in the first place. Uh, and uh, you can also find episodes there. Uh, and it'll also send you links to, to go find it other places. Uh, Prayers in the Static is every other Friday. Uh, the, uh, we're... As of this recording, <laughs> we are uh, we're currently on hiatus, and we'll be back in February. Uh, but uh, if you want to know when the the next episode is going to come out in relation to when you are listening to this, uh, go to the Tales You Told Twitter, and we'll tell you there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can uh, you can uh, but you can watch it on Twitch.tv forward slash Nameless Domain. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's yep, that's all that. <laughs> nice. And where where can people find you? Oh yeah, uh, me. Uh, the person. Uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Kendo Makes Films. Uh, though I don't do that as much as I uh, make <laughs> tabletop stuff. Now. You gotta change it to makes audio storytelling. Makes, yep. I've I've I know I need a rebrand, but if I do it, I have to do it everywhere, and then it's like it becomes weird when people listen to an old thing, and then they're <laughs> like, "Well, I can't find that anymore." No, so. it makes it's like you do make films, like audio. I make films. audio films. Audio, audio films. Films. Yeah, it's very that. cinematic the way that you tell the story. So I think it's it tracks still. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, what a you. fascinating conversation! I want to, I want to, I want to pick your brain more. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, if you could, my DMs are open. Oh. Uh, if uh, not for all of you, uh, there are people out there. No, there are people out there. You all can't come to my DMs. Shelly and Craig, the two of you can come into my DMs. All right, awesome. we'll be there. We'll see you there. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Kendo. See you later. Bye. Bye. What an inspiring conversation. Oh. Uh, I think, like, you you really are legitimately inspired right now. I am, yeah. I you like that. The way Kendo was talking about weaving in, like, different formats for games and different Love things. It. Like, it's such a really... It's, it's, one, it's one of my dreams to be able to run a campaign that can, you know, go through those different phases and, and, and have different... Uh, story beats. I would probably still use Dungeons and Dragons as like the basis for, mm-hmm. for for most of it, but like having those like that one shot idea of having like oh here's like a a, a yes. one shot where you can have with just a one on one kind of real intimate moment thing. Uh, it's it's so so fascinating. It's so cool because I I am really intrigued by the idea of one on one D and D, and I also love when you're watching a TV series with an ensemble cast and they go. Like now, there's an episode, and it's dedicated to like finding out more about one particular yeah. cast member, which is essentially what they're doing. And it's such a cool yeah. idea and a cool way to be for the player as well to to learn things about the character or see what comes up. And really, I now fully fully understand character driven. I get it. 
I it's get great. It. And those are usually format changes too, right? Because uh, if in a show, like say a workplace comedy, like we were talking about, like a Cheers, but like two of the characters get stuck in an elevator, and then they have to like you yeah. know work and fi- work out together and figure out like what what makes each other tick, and they might be like secondary characters or something like that that you don't get a lot of backstory for. Like it's such a great way to 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 shift it up and make it feel fresh and interesting again. Um. It's, I love it. Yeah, really, really right. cool. Very inspiring. So, um, and that narration style. I love. I love Kendo's way of describing p- the camera panning and tilting and all that stuff. Like, I, I'm going to totally steal that. Poetic. It's absolutely. I'm just like, oh, this is like being in like a poetry cafe in the '90s. So, like, I just, <laughs> yeah. I love. I just, I, I love their style. You know what also reminded me of it? I, I, I didn't have time to, to bring it up during the thing, but do you, in the Oscars where they do this do the best screenplay nominations and they describe, they like there's a narrator oh, reading yes. out the action. Yes! That's what I was like, oh yeah, it does kind of feel like a live reading kind of thing, but you don't lose any of the drama, but you're aware of what the writer wants you to see and feel and experience in that moment. And I just thought that, yeah, it's such a yes. great uh, tool to put in your back pocket to use yeah. when you're narrating stuff as a DM. Yep. Oh, very cool. Hopefully Good you stuff. were all inspired by that. Um, well, let's uh, let's start some D&D campaigns in 2023. You've got your uh, kids. Oh, God. happening. Oh, sorry. That's just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I there was a, for those of you you might have heard it in her voice, but there was a <laughs> physical reaction where Shelly just crumbled on the microphone. I am having stress dreams. I okay, there are actual other parents that have been I keep like getting tagged in on emails that I don't know if the PTA means to have me tagged in on. <laughs> oh, but no. there's like over break, there was like five more parents that were like I want to be in the D&D club. Get my kid in there. How do I, how can I get on the wait list? It doesn't appear to be open. And they're like, the wait list is closed. Like we maxed out on the wait list. This club was very popular. It Try again. Like, I'm sorry. It can't, we're not opening more spots. People are still trying to get into the D&D club. And wow. now like, I just, I'm so fearful. And I guess this is just, the crux of any dungeon master, but I'm so fearful that like they're not going to have fun. Oh, but no, they will. Like, what if they go home and they're like, "No, I didn't really like it. I want to go. I want to do the yoga club instead." And like, I mean, kids are kids. They're going to have that. They do that all the time when they don't. It doesn't match expectations. But I think it will because you are an amazing dungeon master, and you are going to spin some yarns. Uh, and Bart's pretty good too. So. Oh gosh, I'm just well. I I will say I had an amazing conversation. I, I mentioned with Zach Clay again yeah. today because he's very generous with his time and was like, "I'll keep talking to you about this." I'll, he gave me great advice, super fun ideas. I I will just leave one here because I think this you're the audience that would appreciate this out there. I, this was really interesting. He said, "No matter what you're doing when you're engaged in things like combat, you have to have the a dark." And a light thing like happening at the same time for those kids that maybe aren't going to be like, yeah, I want to fight this monster. Like make sure like there's some levity happening somewhere else in the story that they can go to Mm. or like or they can like "Eh, I'm not that interested in like fighting. but I want to do something else like uh, this like relic fell off the table and it broke and you have to figure out how to put it back together. So like we're just going to keep 
going, when it's your turn and initiative, that's what you're going to be doing. But it just, it made so much sense in that regard. Like, yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't know how kids are going to respond to some things and, or even adults, I guess, in that regard. But it's just, it, yes, as long as there's, there's going to be something that doesn't feel so dramatic and so emotional all the time happening that they can just turn their attention to, that made me feel like this weird sense of relief. Like, oh yeah, it's like this, it's like an iPad. <laughs> like you, <laughs> if you get bored, you know, watching the adults eat dinner, you can just go watch your iPad. And then I, I know you're still having a good time and I don't have to worry about you. So that's great. That's great. I mean, that's good advice for kids and for adults yeah. for them because not everyone is going to engage with the the idea of I've got a sword and I've got to stab the bad guy, right? Like there's, oh, but we got to get through this door or we've got to stop the lava from rising somehow, yeah. right? Like find like other ways for them to use the specialties of their of their character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're rogues, whatever, like, oh, you have to open this chest <laughs> fast, you know, or, or something like that, yeah. And he had like, um, he was telling me about some of his really good NPCs that he always brings around and I'm going to steal some of them. But also, like, the adventure is essentially, like, a prelude to Dragons of, of Stormrock Isle. So they're, they are going to go on a boat. Um, yeah. And that's where their the adventure, this, this short, quick encounter will take place on. But, you know, he was like, fill the boat with people that can help them. You know, that's because they're so new anyway that just there'll be people there that on the boat that are going to be like, you, like, pick up your sword and do this thing. And you, like, just... Yeah, because the, the advice isn't coming tell. from from Shelley. Right. The advice is coming from the character. It's in that the is story. So, so powerful, especially for kids, because they don't want to be told what to do, but they want they understand the peer pressure kind of idea of like, oh no, this is a good idea. You might want to do this, and it's yeah, yeah, He's it's great. so that's great. So and it gives you the chance to <sighs> to do funny voices. Yes, it makes C three PO. It's like a war oh, forged oh, on dear. it. Oh dear, children! Oh, please put you on might, your life preservers. Might want to swing your staff. <laughs> it could be. It can be anyone. We'll just it see what be. what resonates with them. And um, so, yeah, a week from uh, Friday next week, when we hear when you're listening to Dragon Talk, I'm going to be real scared. Just know that. <laughs> well, I'm going to be very excited. I'll be cheering you on uh, from the ether saying, mm-hmm. yay, I hope Shelley, I don't cry. I hope I don't cry. Like when I get really emotional about Well, now like, I want to make sure that there are some social media posts around this, uh, if you can. I don't know. You don't necessarily have to have pictures of uh, the children, but pictures of the setup and, and you as Dungeon Master. I want to, I want to see it. So yeah. where can people potentially uh, see those posts? Follow me. At Shelly Moo uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, you can go, to, I, I'm on Facebook. Shelly Mazanoble Writer has a Facebook page. Maybe we'll talk about it there. Or my, on my website, I probably will do a little bit of blogging about this at yeah, ShellyMazanoble.com. Bart and I were actually even talking about like, maybe we should like, you know, for, pitch this to our friends on the, you know, the DDB side as a, like an article series of like, here's, Here's how it's gone down so far. Uh, <laughs> oh, like a yeah. uh, an after action report of each yeah. week. Of like, oh, yeah, this is what happened. And this funny story from this kid. Yeah, that would be really. Fun. And and also because you know my memory, this will be a great way for me to remember what happened. <laughs> oh, that's actually a really great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's like a forced note taking. Yes, but I again for everybody, uh, you know, if you have experience running 
D&D clubs or running adventures for younger kids, introducing them to D&D. I will always take your advice. I will appreciate every nugget of advice. I, I honestly wouldn't be even considering this idea if it weren't for all of the advice that I've gotten from you dungeon masters and you players as well. As you know, players know what dungeon what works as dungeon masters as well. So please, um, yeah, drop me a line on social media at Shelly Moo, Twitter or Instagram, and and tell me, tell me, give me give me the advice, please, please. Give it to me. Oh. Uh, excellent. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore. Tito on Instagram. I just posted pictures of my game room uh, there. If you want to check it out, do more games here in 2023. Uh, I'm also on Mastodon and co-host and a a, a slurry of other um, social media things in case our Twitter is not around anymore. Um, But someone who is still around and is still doing their thing is Drunky Two Shoes. And she has... A drink in hand. She just reunited with an old friend, Samson, from Waterdeep, who appeared on the Radiant Citadel and is currently being dragged away by the guards of the Radiant Citadel to pay his dues for entering the city. And you are left there in the square, right on the uh, the main thoroughfare there where the establishment of Drunky Two Shoes is. Uh, your friend Jonathan is kind of kind of just catching up with you because you were sprinting after Samson. Mm. Uh, and he says, well, what, what happened? Who is that? Why Why are they being taken away? Because you're, your people are weird here. Something about paying dues. I still don't really understand what that means. But um, can you come with me? We have to help Samson. He, he's a, an, an old friend and he'll help us on our, on, on our endeavors here. Please come and, and tell. Well, sure. Tell but, the- uh, what about your, your drink? I'm, I got it. I got a, I got a, a tumbler. Oh, I left mine back at the in the bar. Should I? Should I? No, I, no time for that, Jonathan. Is, there, is this? I mean, out of character. Is this an open carry city? I don't know if you can actually <laughs> drink. Uh, is it like Las Vegas where you can just drink drinks outside? I think it's like don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. And just, I understand that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, Jonathan's like uh, he's a little moment of confusion, and then he's like, oh, okay, uh, let's go. Thank you. Let's go. We run like kitty cats. Fast. You run like kitty cats. Yes, you are. You're. You're loping. Uh, it is very graceful. graceful. You still have your drink in hand, so you're not loping really. You're more like uh, uh, trying to make it happen. Right. Um, and you. What, what's your goal? Are you trying to catch up with them, or you just want to get to where they are? I want to to get to where they are. Get to where they are. Okay. So you don't necessarily. You're not like at a full sprint. You're just kind of like hurrying oh. in that direction. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you make it to the entrance place. You see a lot of these, these, uh, as you're kind of getting there, you kind of see these Concord jewels, uh, that have been described by the speakers, these large, um, you know, room sized crystals, uh, that come from the, uh, air above you and land in this area where it seems like a lot of goods and services are, are, are being exchanged and people are entering uh, out of these crystals into the Radiant oh, cool. Citadel, taking cargo in and out from from various places. And uh, you see your uh, friend, Samson. He's in the middle of a conversation with several guards, uh, and um, they're, 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 they're talking quite animatedly. Samson! Oh, yes, there she is. That's, that's the person I was, I was telling you about. Uh, 
Her name is Drunky Two-Shoes. You know, like the establishment. <laughs> and then all the guards, uh, you know, that are in very colorful uh, leather armor, they all kind of, all their heads kind of turn to you at once uh, and look at you and they say, uh, the one that's in front that is uh, conversing most with Samson says, your name is Drunky Two-Shoes. That's correct. Um, and this individual is a large um, hippo-shaped creature uh, standing on two legs uh, and is talking in a uh, deep, deep voice, uh, but still dressed in the same guard regalia. Uh, there's epaulets on their on their shoulders and and uh, very much a uh, they're decorated with medals and things like that. So you can tell that they are important. Wow. Uh, he says, your name is Drunky Two-Shoes? Yes, sir. I like your flair. I, I am grateful, but I, I am very confused. We have gone to y- your establishment many times. Yeah, glad you like it. How do you know this person? Oh, Samson and I are, uh, we have basically, we saved Waterdeep together. So... You know, we're kind of heroes. Is water deep? For is real? it a place for swimming? It's I mean you could. There is a harbor there. It's on the water. Deep water. <laughs> uh it's a city in the Forgotten Realms. Do you, have you been trapped up here your whole life? Yes, I was born here. Oh. I live here. Well, I do not know where the Forgotten realms. Is Interesting. Are, like you've never are, heard. Are there of many of these realms? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs as well. He's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you have been identified as a sponsor for <gasps> Samson. That means you must pay the toll. Oh. Okay. I didn't realize that's what it meant to be a sponsor. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, she's got her drink. <laughs> what? Like, how, how do I pay? The fee for entry uh, for strangers is 500 pieces of gold. Okay, I look at um, Jonathan and mm-hmm. I say, is, this, is that true? Uh, Jonathan says, ah, yeah, I haven't traveled too much uh, on the crystals here, but I do know that the, upon entry into the city, you have to you have to pay a toll. Okay, is there like a cheaper place that we could just go to that's not in the city, like a campsite? This is free to return where from whence he came. Jonathan, we have to find your family and my brother. Are we going to be here long, or are we like getting out of? This strange little city. Because I'm I don't have five hundred gold pieces. Um Jonathan says, I don't either. I only have and he's like looks through his coin purse and he's like, I've got and he has got like, you know, silver coins, a piece of fluff, a, a bottle cap, uh, a hair tie, a rubber band. Um, and he says, uh, yeah, it looks like I've only got twenty-three gold pieces. Okay. Yeah, we're not. How many how much do you have? I have four silver pieces. <laughs> Jonathan says, that's not enough. You're right. 
Uh, and then Jonathan talks to uh, the guard and says, uh, I, there's a way we can get in without having to pay that high of a toll, right? Is, is there something we can do for you? Is there some service to the city we can provide? And the uh, hippo responds, hmm, yes. Oh, bless you. If you can convince the proprietor the bartender at Drunky Two Shoes to give me and my mates free drinks for life, well, then maybe we can talk. For life? For life, right, mates? And they all go, oh, that would be fantastic. Yes, yes. Like any kind of drink you want or just like the house special? I do like the house special. Well, you're in luck, because I am the proprietor. <laughs> <laughs> and they all cheer. Yay! Uh, and it's only Jonathan and Samson who are like, what? I mean, I'm and basically the proprietor. Scene. We will close it out there <laughs> and pick it up next time as you try to convince everyone that you actually own the place called your name. Right. Yeah. Shouldn't Easy. be too hard. Easy peasy. All right. Good well times. Done. We shall see. And uh, I hope you can finish your drink. I hope I can too, because I think I'm going to need it. Gonna need it.